Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. Nerdapalooza, the world's largest nerd music festival. And with generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and to learn how you can support this and other fine Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Epic Podcast. Introducing your hosts, Nelson Lugo and Schaefer the Dark Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Epic Podcast, coming to you live from the beautiful and spacious Tank Theater in the heart of New York City. My name is Nelson Lugo. Correct. Nelson Lugo, pick again. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, this isn't a game show, is it? No, this is not a game show. No. Sorry. Uh, I wouldn't have come. Are, you gonna, are, you, are we going to do this? Are we going to do this thing where you don't say your name again? Is that a thing you're going to no, do? No, I prepared a series of questions because I thought this was going to be a game show. No, this, is not a, this has never been a game show, Schaefer. But we're, uh, there's an... No, there's a, yeah, we're, we're in front of a beautiful and smart and intelligent and uh, smart, I said smart, studio audience. You actually uh, said smart and intelligent. Yeah, I know. It, because they are, they are that wicked uh, uh, brainy is what they are. They're huh. wicked smart, as they well, say. Uh, well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Don't alienate the audience. We just got here. No, I'm, I'm saying, I'm yeah. predicting the future. They're going to demonstrate to us their sure. smartness and intelligences. Sure. Okay, all right. And I am your other host, Schaefer the Dark Lord. <laughs> Holy crap. It, so uh, the reason why we're here is that this is our one-year anniversary. One year? One... We've done 12 episodes of this? Yes, we've done... This is, this is technically our 13th episode. This is our 13th episode, yes. Yeah. We, but we, yeah, we began... 12 episodes are in the can, is, as they say, as the industry speaks. They're not only on the can, they're on the internet where you can comment on them. Yes. That's, you, that's more actually, than just being completed. Have you actually read any of the comments? Because no. I have not read a single... No, Nelson, <laughs> Nelson. A fellow like me in my yeah. line of work, sure. I learned... As uh, a rapper mostly, on the internet? Mostly through therapy to stop reading the comments years ago. Ah, okay. So, and I'm not reading them... Uh, on this thing. Look, I normally don't even get dressed for this. <laughs> That's true. That's Lugo, true. we usually record on a Tuesday night. Lugo comes over to my apartment. I'm sorry. Studio, Studio 6C. 6C. Yeah. We're going to have to edit that out. Sure, we'll bleep it. We'll bleep I don't it. want the fans <laughs> thinking that we record this in my apartment. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He comes over to my apartment. I've, uh, I've already begun drinking by the time he gets there. True. Note how many people are drinking on this show right now. True. 
By the, and by the way, I need a drink. If, if I put on flip-flops for Nelson Lugo, that's, I feel like I'm going to prom. Yeah, that's like, fancy as fuck for you. Yeah. yeah, so yeah I'm, I'm just grateful you're wearing this. pants. I am also grateful that you're wearing pants. <laughs> Nelson, what have you yes. been up to this month? Because, uh, well, uh, we haven't checked in since last month. We did last month's episode. And that's true. I don't know what you said uh, you were up to then because I kind of zone out during the parts <laughs> where you're talking. <laughs> Um, and I zone out extra hard in the six hours it takes to edit all of the uhs out of our oh, speech. Oh, you! Be- oh, thank you. Oh, I got a beer. Thank you, Trey Tatum. Thank you, Trey Tatum. Um, I am now drinking. Mm, mm. But since last month's episode, mm, delicious beer. Uh, you had new things brewing on the horizon. Sure. You had new inspiration. Yes. A renewed love affair with your craft. True. And the world was your oyster. Yes. Has that fallen apart yet? All of it. All of it has gone to pots. Uh, Record time. Yeah. No, it's actually, uh, I'm, I'm actually re- pretty impressed by uh, how little it lasted. Um, and now I'm, <laughs> and now I'm back, I'm back to the status quo, just kind of depressed and sullen. And, just, uh, just barely getting by. <laughs> basically. I don't really have a reason to wake up in the morning other than I have to pee, you, basically. You still uh, can take in oxygen and produce <laughs> carbon dioxide. Yes, yes. Bare minimum. Ba- at, least, at least that much, yeah. I think you're exaggerating. That's true. I am exaggerating. Um, so August has been a, oh, man, uh, a pretty uh, difficult month, um, uh, just per, uh, personal, uh, personal, personally and professionally. Um, I have uh, announced... That um, as a pr- that Epic Win Burlesque as an entity as a production as a show um, is no longer going to be. I have retired Epic Win Burlesque. <gasps> Gasp! <laughs> oh, man. The the Peter finally has an opinion. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, no, I I think I mean I I've done Epic Win Burlesque for four years. Four years. If your burlesque show. Uh, were an 18-year-old, it would have a college degree. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or were it an 18-year-old four years ago. Yeah. And it had stuck to its... Wow, you're really just going to... Curriculum. You're going to land this joke no matter what, aren't and you? And hadn't gotten distracted with drugs. Okay. Um, that was awkward. Thank All right, you. Whatever. So uh, you've been doing the show. You did, you did Epic Win Burlesque for four years. Yes. Well, I mean, I, and I did, and I, did I think, half of that with you. Um, a, 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 more than half, I'd say. Let's say three quarters. Oh, shut up. Um, and and here's, here's the interesting thing. When, when you stepped down from being a co-producer of the show yes. um, to work on your album, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, uh, it took you... Uh, we, we had originally agreed that we would stop producing Epic Wind Burlesque on two conditions. One, it stopped being fun, or if one of us didn't want to do it anymore because we couldn't think of doing it without the other because there was... A, a chemistry on stage, essentially. And it's true. That's it's why true. he continued to do the show for a year and a half no, after I stepped down. No, 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 no. You drug adult. Oh, I had to talk you into that, too. Yes, you, you, you did. Were like, you were it like, took you, here's the thing. It oh took God. you like a month to, to, to work yourself up into a lathered frenzy to tell me that you wanted to step down. It was six then months. Then it took you five, then it was a five-minute conversation of you telling me you wanted to step down. Then it was a two-hour conversation of you talking me into keep doing it. That's all. Actually, that's all true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's the thing. You were so, oh, God, you were so forlorn. I was like, Lugo, I can't do this anymore. 
uh, because it's not fun. Because that was right. again one of the right. one of the conditions. It's not fun. Uh, I forgot that I'm technically a rapper and sure. I need to make music again. And uh, I, I was I was gonna step down. And you were like, alas! Oh no. <laughs> No. I can't. Well, then I'm done too. It's over. No, no, no. In, in fact, I ta- no, 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 I did, no, no. Yes, no, I, that's I, not what happened. I didn't. I punched it into you. That's I not what happened. I punched you no. until you said you would keep doing the show. Well, that no. Well, metaphorically, yes, but it wasn't as dramatic as you are it, saying. It was literally. You literally said, "Hey, it I was need, really awesome. I need to step down for this reason, this reason, this reason." And I said, "Okay, fine. It's over. We're done. What else? What's else on the I, table?" I, I and then you said, "No, no, no, no. Slow your horses there." And then you spent the next two hours telling me why I needed to do it. And I spent the next hour and a half telling you why I didn't want to do it until finally, just to get you to shut the fuck up, I said, all right, I'll keep doing it. And now um, I'm stepping down because uh, I've got other things to do. You know, even because you said you would keep doing it because just to shut, just to shut me up, yeah. I will take that as a victory. <laughs> Also, I, there was another there was another caveat in that whole deal too, what because was that? I was trying to like cushion the blow, and I knew that you were going to be so sad. I wasn't sad. Lo- you were so sad. I was not sad. Oh, that's not a thing so, that happened. You were the, that's you were sad. I was not sad. Okay. <laughs> One of the deals was uh, to try to cushion the blow. I was like, "Well, tell you what, buddy, um, we could do that podcast you've always talked about. I'll stick around for that." Wait, seriously? Is that what you did? That's the only reason you I did this. threw me a bone? Yes. You asshole. I've been throwing you that bone for 12 months. <laughs> um, no. But anyway, but you're stepping down. I don't know that, but, actually. But, but, no, I'm just... That, but that, no, that was part of the deal. You don't that remember was, that. No, that no, was that, yeah, part of the deal. I guess that was part okay. of the deal. Uh, here's... Um, the, the thing. You're, you're stepping down yeah. because it's not fun anymore. Well, no, it's, it's not that it's not funny anymore. It's just I, just... I just... I mean, I've just come to a point in my life where there are... Uh, things that are more important, which is, I, 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 that's probably a harsh thing to say, but I think Epic Win Burlesque, I've kind of taken it as far as I can. You know, I've done all the themes I want to do. I've done all of the shows I want to do. Um, I've, I, 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 I'm like, you know, we did Batman. We did Star Trek, Star Wars. We did, you know, I was, at the end there, I was like frantically searching for some kind of theme that marginally I'm interested in you know, like, we did a My Little Pony show, which was great, except I know nothing of My Little Pony. And it's like, oh, okay, that's a show we could do. Because it's like I found that I was trying to justify shows because I think the fans want it rather than it's something I enjoy. And one of the great things that we did is that we did shows because we fucking love the material rather than creating material for, for other people. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Well, and yeah. we... You know, fought with swords over some of these show themes. True. <laughs> I don't like Harry Potter, Lugo. I'm not doing that. And then you did my Harry Potter show. Because you stabbed me with a sword. <laughs> All's fair. All's fair in love and war. So here's, uh, here's the thing. Um, since you're going to uh, shit in the mouth of my legacy, <laughs> which was Epic Win Burlesque. Wow. That's... I thought y- I would quit. <laughs> wow. That's... And you would continue it. And forever. No. And it would just be bigger and bigger. And that way I could always sit in my apartment and flip flops and go like, yeah, I started that. <laughs> but well, now that you've let it go, here's can. what I think you should have considered doing. Instead of putting it to bed, yeah. I think you should have just hand, just sold off all of the URLs and all of your passwords <laughs> and, the, and the name to somebody else and let somebody else run the show. Actually, I kind of did. Um, what? I kind of did. Well, in the, not, not nearly as dramatically as you're suggesting, but I produced a, an all-male nerdy burlesque show called Geek Boys Burlesque. Um, Anyone? So have, anybody? Anybody seen it? Um, 
once once I announced my retirement and the end of Epic Win Burlesque, um, Matt Knife, who is the producer of Homo Erectus, uh, which is, by the way, a fantastic show. It's the only uh, monthly all-male burlesque show, and if you haven't seen it, it's really fantastic. Um, he, he approached me, and he said, can I have Geek Boys? And I gave it to him with my blessing. Oh, you gave him geek, but not the rest of Epic Win. That should have been the thing. Like, yes. You, well, unfortunately, everybody else if you has want what's taken in the, glove the rest box, of Epic Win without my permission. So, if you want what's in the glove box, you have to take the whole car. That's what you should have said to him. You should. Well, you could still sell. You should still. You could still hand off Epic Win to somebody else. No, no. Why not? Well, because first of all, Epic Win was yes a burlesque show, yes. but it was more than just a burlesque show. Yeah, it was comedy. It was sketches. Yeah, it somebody was, else could do that. Yeah, no, not the way we did it, and 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 neither one we're, of us. We're not able... that funny. <laughs> well, you know what? I sort of like. I, it's like Epic Win Burlesque has achieved a a a lot of notoriety and has become quite. Um, sort of famous within the community that has surrounded this thing called Nerdy Burlesque. And I kind of just want it to, to end on the top. I don't want it to, like, you know, keep failing and failing until it just kind of rusts into obscurity. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on this here. You don't think it would work if you took a show yeah. that has run for years yeah. and then say somebody else could be at the helm of it. Sure. It would be a different person. Right. But they would have, still have the same spirit. No, I'm not... No, I'm running saying, it. No, no, no. I'm saying that's... F- I mean, it's fine. I just don't want that for Epic Win Burlesque. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying... So I don't you have it. a different set of rules for Epic Win Burlesque that you have for Doctor Who. Oh. Uh... <laughs> you know, I really have to congratulate you because you set me up for that joke about 10 minutes ago. I worked so hard and for that. And you've been... You've been I'm leading like, me down this path. I'm winded from th- setting that up, and I, it wasn't even that funny. All right, I don't want to talk about you, your burlesque show anymore. Um, I just finished the first full draft of my one-man show. Oh! Um, thank you. It's now, it's now in the hands of my director, who is a lovely, exceedingly talented, super smart lady, um, who uh, I am uh, absolutely thrilled to have working on it. Um, I just asked, I just hired a magic consultant for my show to make sure that the magic is on par with everything else. Um, and I have launched a brand new monthly show um, called The Conjurer's Club. It's a, it's a monthly magic show. It's a monthly magic show. Yes. With a rotating cast of magicians. Yes. Every month it's going to be a brand new uh, set of four magicians, each doing 20 minutes of material. And um, it's going to be at our bar, which is on Bowery, uh, right off of Prince Street. And it's only 10 bucks. And for 10 bucks, you get to see four of the best magicians in New York City do what they do best. And uh, it's going to be the newest monthly magic show in New York City. And there's only one other magic show in New York City, and that's Monday Night Magic. And that's a weekly on Mondays, obviously, hence wait. the name. Um, wait. Wait. <laughs> Mondays? Yeah. Um, and so, and, but there's no other. Um, consistent magic shows in New York City. And this is New York City. This should be the freaking capital of magic and magicians, but it's not. And so I've just kind of decided, since I had this free night on our bar because I stopped Epic Win, I figured, well, I'm a magician. What do I want to do? Oh, right, put on magic shows. So that's what's going to happen. First Saturday of every month at our bar, uh, the Conjurers Club. Um, I will be... Thank you. Um, I will be spamming all of your inboxes with all the information you don't want. 
Uh, it's, it's exciting to hear you putting energy back into the thing that you do again. Well, thank you. Thank you very uh, much. Because, let me tell you, you're, um, cause, because your spirits seem high. Yeah. You seem enthusiastic. Yes. Inspired. Sure. All things I would not describe, use to describe you. Uh, your last <laughs> six months running your burlesque show. Oh, really? Was I, was, I pretty, was I pretty down on it? Was I pretty down for about the whole thing? Sure. I'll do a quick impression. Oh, this is Nelson Lugo showing up at call time at his burlesque show. Pick any of them the last six months. That was your response to every wow. question, asked all night long, and then you would just fight with hecklers. Um, so it's nice that, that you're doing something. That was a great bit for radio, by the way. Thank you so much for doing that. That uh, was for them. <laughs> There's got to be a little bit of visual stuff for the, the, the people who actually came out to the tank tonight. <laughs> uh, and, and by the way, uh, I am looking at literally, literally hundreds of people out in the audience. Thank you all. <laughs> Thank you all so much for coming out tonight. Uh, Ooh, that's that's why you're a magician because you're a master of crowd manipulation. I know, right? Um, so yeah, no, I, I've been I've been very unhappy um, with uh, with the direction that my life was going in, and so now I'm taking a new direction, and I'm much happier. Well, congratulations. Good. Thank for you, you, sir. Good Thank for you very much. Thank you. And the audience seems to agree with my life choices. Thank you for validating my existence. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, well, let me ask you a question there, Shapeses. God damn it. <laughs> so you have this album, allegedly, uh, that you have been working on for the past two years, allegedly. Um, you, keep, you have this really, uh, and I hesitate to use this word, clever uh, marketing campaign for uh, your alleged album that no one has seen hide nor hair of. Um, and you're very cryptic online with all kinds of, you know, pictures and clues and hashtags and you keep saying it's going to drop but there's no real date. So, um, how's that coming? How's that working out for you? If you guys go back and listen to the archives of the show, you will know that this question ask, is asked in the, every one of the last 13 episodes. <laughs> The record, my new record, is coming along really well. In fact, I almost want to say that it's in the can. Ooh. It's, That's a worthy. Yeah. All of the songs, all right, all of the songs have been recorded. Uh, I have a um, guy <laughs> who's mixing it, and this week he sent me back mixes of 12 of the 13 songs. Okay. Uh, I recently recorded uh, a number of skits. Those have all been recorded and edited. Uh, I have to do like one little pickup on it, but mostly all of the recording work is done, and now it's just massaging that thing into a consumable product. Um, it is really close, you guys. It'll probably be out next month. Wow, that soon. Okay. Yeah, wow. probably. Um, right. I, you know, I haven't really slept this summer. Uh, I've been, I've spent pretty much every weeknight. Well, really, Monday through Thursday every week. This is this is my whole summer. Uh, I go to a day job, I come home, I sit at my computer, and I put my headphones on, and I listen to my own voice for like seven hours. <laughs> then I go to sleep miserable. Wow. And I, th right. it, I think I'll have it out next month. So the, the, the two-year odyssey is coming to some kind of fruition. It's been two years. It's been fucking two years. There's a song on the album that I wrote three years ago. <laughs> oh. For one of your shows. Well, can, I, can I say what it is? I know what it is. Okay. It's Boo, I'm a Ghost. Is mm -hmm. that it? Yeah! 
I love that I wrote song. that in the summer of 2010 for your Ghostbuster show. Well, well first of all, it's it not my Ghostbuster I was correcting myself. For our show. Yes, it was. It was our show. Back then, before we had to share custody. <laughs> and uh, so that one's finally making. But it's really been a focused work for the, the past year. Well, I'm really excited. I'm really excited because, um, quite frankly, I want to stop talking about it. Good. Me too. Uh, I've been talking about it nonstop for the past I don't wanna, year. I want to watch cable, and I want to play video games, and I want to eat shitty food, and I want to lie around all day in nothing, in nothing. And... <laughs> That's what I want to do. I want to fuck off. I want to go and buy Legos. I want to do a bunch of things that people do for recreation because I haven't done that in ages because I'm sitting there with these headphones on going, just editing breaths out between words. You know what's you know what's funny? Like uh, we we spoke on the phone last night, not last night, but maybe the night before, and I was in the middle of writing um, this this monologue, and and I and I and I've been sitting staring at the computer screen for about maybe six hours, looking at the words I wrote for six hours, going over and over and over and over again. And I was complaining to you, and then you said something about long. And then when I spoke to you about it, you paused and went. When I had to listen to my own voice for six hours. Me. 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 Cry baby. Uh, it's true. I am a cry baby. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and uh, think of it about it this way. When you have to listen to your voice six, for six hours, you don't have to listen to this voice. <laughs> this is what I, oh my God, I sit in my apartment and edit the big, I want to play video games. Stop. I know what, I know stop. what I, look, just stop. you guys, yeah. I just, I just want to point this out. I know what I sound like. <laughs> I'm tired of talking about my record. I'm um, tired of about that. Hey, well, then that's good. That's a good segue. Then is that a good segue? Yeah. First of all, I want to do like a little exercise with you. Oh shit. Okay, I'm gonna think of a word, and then you think of a word. Okay, word association kind of thing. You thinking it? You got it? You got it in your head? Wait, you want me to think of a word? You're thinking. Are you're supposed to be thinking of it? You're no, I thought. To touch your on. temple and think hold of on. a word. Time, time out. Time out. Are you gonna tell me? Are you gonna tell me a word, and then I respond with a word back? Nope. You were gonna think of a word. All right. You just think of a word, All right. and I will think of a word. Okay. And I will bet that we are so connected Okay. that when I count to three and we yeah. both share the word that we're putting all of our energy into, we're going to say the same word. I hope, I don't know where this bit is going, but okay. <laughs> I, know I'm, I know I'm springing something on you. Okay, here we go. I just, I really, I just, I got inspired yeah. and I felt like I would test our connection right oh, here okay. in front of all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, you going to count it down? It's going to suck if your word is schadenfreude. Don't say that. I'm not going to say Ready? schadenfreude. But you have to touch your temple, too. All right, I'm going to touch my temple. Am I think, touching the right think one? Think about a word. Just think Wait, about a word. do I have to touch the one you're touching? Just think about it. Okay. It doesn't fucking matter. Got it. Just think about a word. Okay. And put everything into it. Got it. Ready? You got that yeah. word? Yeah. And I'm going to say one, two, three, and then we say it. Okay. okay. I hope this works. Me, too. <laughs> one, two, three. Batman. Batman. Oh, my God. <laughs> You are magic. Uh, Catch me at the Conjurer's Club at the Arbor. <laughs> well done. Well so, played, sir. What do you say? This is enough. Of, this is enough blah, blah. Let's, get, wanna, let's, get, let's get, uh, introduce our guest. Yeah. Do you want to introduce our guest? Now, are we, are we going to take a break before we bring the guest? I don't know. What do you want to do? I want to go home and work on my record. But what do you mean? <laughs> what do I want to do here? No, go ahead. Let's just, this is a tea. Let's introduce our first guest. Let's go right into it. Terrific. Can I, can I introduce the guest? Absolutely. That's your job. That's do my you, job on the show. Do your job. That's your job on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, our first guest on the program this month is making his third appearance on the podcast. Woo! 
He is the site editor of Newsarama.com, a website that you read if you are into catching, uh, digging the... the You had one job, Schaefer. I normally write these. I know. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, our first guest on the program this month is making his third appearance on the podcast. He is the site editor of Newsarama.com. Please welcome to the program, Lucas Siegel. Yeah! Get up here. Have a seat, you handsome devil. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah. All right. Did that move the microphone close to your? There you go. To your face hole. Before we get started, I want to try your your magic trick. I need a beer. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, Lucas Siegel, your entitlement never ceases to amaze. It works. You can catch me at the Conjurers Club at our bar. <laughs> Look, he is entitled to that. He's the site editor of Newsarama.com. True. It, yeah, it's a site Does about anybody, comic books and video games and sci-fi and fantasy movies and TV shows. Yeah. Was that yeah. so hard, Shaver? Wow. Boom. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way that I could shoehorn it into just the stuff I'm looking for on your website. And it's pretty much a safe bet. If I go there, like the, the, the front page articles, there's always going to be one thing about what's happening in Batman comics. Um, yeah, pretty much. And that's, look, that's why I go. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I get some dirt about Batman and then I'll read about what's happening with the Spider-Man movie and pretend like I care. True. Uh, but I like that you force yourself to read more articles to just no, pretend. I will, though, I kind of read Newsarama.com the same way I read the comics I buy every Wednesday. Uh, I, I, I'll go to the comic book store and I'll get all the comics that I get every, every month and I'll, I'll put them out. And there's always, uh, one of them is always dessert. That's always the one you build up to, right? <laughs> Uh, it's either going to be Walking Dead or the new Batman and Robin, which now it's called Batman and whoever because they're rotating in different sidekicks, you know, for every month. Uh, but then I'll take all of the other stuff that I don't really care about, like Catwoman. I don't know why I'm still reading Catwoman, but I do. <laughs> I read all that stuff first, and that's the chewy, starchy Midwestern meal that I have to eat at my relative's house that I don't want to so that I can get to the good one. And I, I browse the site the same way. I'll go in there, and I'll be like, Oh, sure. I'll see what's going on with Aquaman. <sighs> and then after I digest a couple of articles, then I go and read the dishy Batman pieces. <laughs> and I also always look now to see who the byline is. Oh, nice. And if it's yours, then um, I, lean, I sit up. I, cor- <laughs> I, I correct my posture and I lean into it. I'm like, oh, Lucas wrote this. I'm friends with him. That's good because I'm watching you. I say your to nobody who's watching. So, um, all right. So, uh, Lucas, you have a tradition of coming on the show. I do, and uh, just kind of like info dumping on us with all kinds of insider information, sneak peeks, tips, <laughs> rumors, speculation, stuff that's down the line. Um, you, uh, I, I've got a stopwatch here, and I'm going to cut you off at some point. But go. Okay. Uh... I didn't know I had to dump all over you here. Um, Always <laughs> and all the time. All the time. Uh, so, so, yeah. so Schaefer, did you uh, see the, the DC solicitations for November that came out on Monday? Mm-hmm. Did you? Sure did. What, what was that Batman and comic called that month? I didn't see that one in there. Oh, wait, yeah, I did. 
It was no. Wait, what? That was in the that was in the DC solicitations this month. What? What was it? it what was, was called, it? It was called Batman and Carrie Kelly. Uh, Nobody in the audience knows what the fuck we're talking about. Back in 1986, when Frank Miller created <laughs> The Dark Knight Returns, a legendary uh, graphic novel. Uh, there was a Robin in that one. It takes place in the future where Bruce Wayne is all old and decrepit. And his sidekick, Robin, uh, is played by a, a young girl named Carrie Kelly. And it was a one-off character that only existed in that graphic novel. And that was it. Never to be spoken of again. But she's also one of the best Robins ever written. She was amazing. Now, DC Comics and part of the New 52 has introduced the character of Carrie Kelly to the continuity. And so many fans on the internet cried foul. No! That was Frank Miller's character in Sacred! Because, yeah, Frank Miller's a saint. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Just to decode that joke, he's he's, not. He's he's, he's not. He's he's kind of a lunatic. He's actually kind of a horrible I was skeptical when they introduced Carrie Kelly into the DC Universe too, but I didn't care because I was like, it's Carrie Kelly. There were like five books, I mean, individual issues that went into The Dark Knight Returns. Right. That's all we ever got of her. I will see some more. And uh, because Batman and Robin is my favorite of the Batman books, I like Carrie Kelly in this universe. So we had the five stages of grief, uh, which were the first five team ups there. And now we're actually going to get a full arc that's all about Two Face and it's all about Carrie Kelly. And if you'll remember, Two-Face has a very strong connection to the Robins already. Uh, Two-Face was one of the first villains that uh, Dick Grayson ever took on, on his own. And Two-Face was the entire reason that Tim Drake became Robin. And uh, there's a very good reason why Two-Face is is suddenly making this his first big appearance in the New 52. And... And it's right along at the same time as Carrie you Kelly. You always do this, Lucas. Becomes the title character. You're always like, oh, there's a really good reason for this happening. <laughs> Wink! Uh, I, I have a- What's the good reason, yeah. Lucas? So, <laughs> let's, let's just say that DC really, really wants you to think that Carrie Kelly is going to be, be Robin, Robin by yeah. the end of the Also, arc. to catch people up with the, not, what's... You don't know what's going on if you're not reading the the comic books. Uh, the the most recent Robin was Damian Wayne, the, the test tube baby of uh, Talia Al Ghul One and Bruce Wayne, Wayne's. and she uh, and he died. He was a was a ten year old trained just death machine. And he was one of the best characters in the Batman universe, and he died a few months ago. And I'm still not over it. The good he was news my is... favorite Robin of all time, and now he's dead. So now there's all this speculation among the fans: who's going to be the new Robin? So Carrie Kelly's been introduced into the current continuity. Who is it going to be, Carrie Kelly? Ooh, I'm not buying it. I've never <laughs> been buying it. And I see that. I the see good news is that uh, Damien did die in perfect comic book fashion. He was killed by an artificially aged clone of himself (laughs) (laughs) because comic books Uh, look I'm still I'll forgive that as long as they don't introduce time travel or alternate universes well we kind of have an alternate universe of of where Damien grew up coming out next month by Adam Kubert Oh right, I, I heard about that. I, yeah. don't, I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so hold and of on. Of course, so, we saw all those tanks of more Damien clones. Yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on. A second. The end of Batman Inc. Because Batman Inc. just ended. That was a series that killed Damien, my sweet, sweet Damien. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go on. Go right. On. You just ask the questions. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll think about Damien. So, 
So it's still so uh, so. What's what's your speculation on this? Is Carrie Kelly going to be the new Robin, or is this just more uh, rope a dope by DC Comics to just keep uh, the the st- that story arc going? Carrie Kelly is going to be the new Robin, but I think we'll see somebody else in the tights first. Wait, what the f did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> That's really going to happen? I think so. Yeah, I think I think we're still going to no. see. We're going to see. They're going to build and build and build, and it's Carrie, it's Carrie, it's Carrie. And then we're going to have a, a new issue called Batman and Robin again at the end of this arc. And it's not going to be her. I hate reading comics. But then books. it will I hate, be. I hate <laughs> them. I hate them so much. No, you don't. You're dead. Oh, no. Hey, Jason Todd. Now you're another guy. Hey, Superboy punched the walls of reality. I know. Because comic books, comics. Because comics. That's just what they do. Um, I don't want to talk about Robin anymore. All right. So let's move on. <laughs> So, <laughs> hang in there, buddy. Just drink, drink, and drink your pain away. Um, all right. So, um, so moving out, uh, moving out of DC Comics. Uh, what, what is, what do we? Well, I don't know. Actually, you brought a comic book with you. Is that just something? You're oh reading, yeah, or? I just kind of brought these to give away to our lovely studio. What? Audience. Really? So at some point, we're gonna let me see those do some little giveaways here. Of let the, me see those. The we first have volumes. First of, volume of Animal Man, which is actually pretty freaking fantastic. That's a great book <laughs> and really creepy. Uh, and then Animal Man is the a great first book. volume of Swamp Thing, which is also. You know what? By, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna keep these. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm gonna keep these. No, you're not. Fine. We will give these away to the, anyone who asks the best question at the end of the show. How's that? Oh, terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, one all right, so, so give, us, give us something on the Marvel front. Um, any, any new comic book stuff? Any new movie stuff you want to talk about? Well, the, the Marvel stuff, uh, there is quite a bit going on in the comics with Infinity just launched this week, which is their newest miniseries, and then Right when that one ends, another one begins, and that's Cataclysm, and that's the Ultimate Universe miniseries, and that's going to bring Miles Morales to the Marvel Universe. All right, the oh, <laughs> racist. So My- <laughs> Miles Morales, for those not in the know, was the new Ultimate Spider-Man. He was introduced a couple of years ago after Peter Parker died in that universe. Yeah, and he is a uh, a half black, half Hispanic, younger. Uh, boy from Brooklyn, and he was also bit by a genetically engineered spider. Because reasons, comics. Because comics. Uh, but yeah, he's he's coming to the regular to, Marvel to the regular Marvel continuity. Yeah. Huh. All right. Uh, Good for them. And Good it for is Marvel. ultimate. Yeah. It's ultimate Miles that's I'll, coming. You know what? To I'll the I'll give Marvel universe. a foot massage when they give that character a movie. Yeah. yeah. True. True. Well, Speaking hey, of let's Marvel relaunch movies. a Spider-Man movie three years later. What should we do? I don't know. Let's get some like another brooding white kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Marvel movies, ooh yes. So uh, there's this X-Men movie coming out next year called X-Men: Days of Future Past. Right. Uh, is this is this the one that's also part of the prequel series? This is combining the two casts. So you have all of the old cast from the original first three movies. Right. And you have all of the young cast from first X-Men class. First Class. Right. And they come together through the miracles of time travel and oh, alternate good. realities. Time travel is a plot <laughs> device. Go on. <laughs> now, of course, this story is a classic story by Chris Claremont that was uh, originally only two issues 
Oh. That was it was two issues of the regular series and that was it. That's how they used to do events. And it's a legendary event in Marvel's history. It is. The and Days it, of Future Past is one of the most I mean short of like the Dark Phoenix saga. It's one of the most revered uh, untouchable sacred texts of Marvel's uh, history. But yeah, it was two issues. Absolutely. And it was momentous in the X-Men universe. When it happened, it did all sorts of things. It introduced uh, Rachel Summers to the timeline, and it really changed the way that they approached the whole Sentinel thing. And so we're going to see Sentinels. We've seen uh, yes. some, oh, some beautiful, beautiful images of those. And Giant purple robots that kill mutants. Just but, <laughs> but here's the new thing. These are the subtitles of this conversation. <laughs> But here's the new thing that yeah. I uh, that I have heard and I have not reported at all yet. I saved for this. Ooh. Um, oh, you guys are getting a scoop. It's it's from a very high up reliable source at Fox and uh, X Men Days of Future Past is going to do a soft reboot of the X Men movie continuity. Oh. oh. So through the miracles of time travel and uh, timeline alteration here, we're going to see a new X-Men continuity come out of it, which will be a springboard for wonderful things like recasting. Oh. Because these people have been playing these roles for 13 years, and they don't want to anymore. Uh, (laughs) Oh, bullshit. Well, except for Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman wants any cameo he can get as Logan in anything. When, He'll when do his, anything. When his new contract comes out, um, which he will be getting, uh, he'll he'll be part of the continuity, part of the thing that kind of holds it all together. And that's because he's the one that's doing the time traveling in this instead of Kitty Pride, like in the comic. Uh, side, oh, uh, oh, of course. Sidebar. Uh, sidebar. I, uh, screw the female mutants. <laughs> let's yeah. stick with Wolverine, even uh, though we gave him a crappy movie and everyone hated it. I, but let's keep putting all of our <laughs> chips on that horse. <laughs> I know putting your chips on a horse isn't an expression. That's that's not a thing. But um, I just saw the the Wolverine film a couple of weeks ago, and I was mightily impressed. Actually, I was very very entertained. It was a very solid comic book movie. I I just I don't care. They gave Wolverine a second film in spite of the fact that X Men Origins Wolverine is an abomination. It's horrible. Horrible movie. That's a horrible. People who didn't like didn't like comic book movies. They hated it. Comic book fans hated it. Everything about it was a disaster. And a few years later, boom, there's a new Wolverine movie. For a while, there was talk that Darren Aronofsky was going to direct he a new Wolverine movie. He was going to, yeah. Right. Yeah. So Wolverine is still like, oh, that was a disaster. Well, let's just keep, I don't know, let's just keep throwing money on that pile of fire. <laughs> and yet, on the opposite side, well, let's look at, say, like Warner Brothers. They make, they decide like, ooh, you know what? Let's do something edgy. Let's do a movie with a lead female character, kind of an anti-hero. We'll make a Catwoman movie. And the Catwoman movie... An abomination. Right. But that's it. Just bury it, put it in the ground, throw, throw lime on it yeah. so the, the dogs can't smell it. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to steal something from uh, Brett White from, from Comic Book Resources, actually, one of our friendly competition sites. Uh, he tweeted out when, when the Guardians of the Galaxy footage leaked from Comic-Con and from uh, D23, and... Part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. So Guardians of the Galaxy, new Marvel Studios movie, very, very different from anything that's come before. And it features a very weird, eclectic alien cast, including a raccoon named Rocket, who has a penchant for large guns. 
Yeah. And and in this leaked footage, you see Rocket twice, and once he's up on Groot, who's kind of like an ent that kicks ass. Yeah. He's yeah. A, he's um, a tree. He's so a tree. So he's up on Groot, and he's like sniping people. And then in another, he's just sitting there spraying with this huge oversized <laughs> machine gun. And Brett White uh, tweeted out just a, a brilliant, brilliant sentence. And it was, DC and Warner Brothers is all like, oh, man, Wonder Woman is too complicated to bring to film. And Marvel is all like, here's a raccoon with a machine gun. <laughs> So let's just uh, consider that a call to arms. DC Warner Brothers, get your shit together. I, 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 am, I am not a Fairweather DC fan. I love DC Comics uh, no matter what they do, but it is a source of embarrassment that we are going to get a talking raccoon before we get a Wonder Woman film. We got it's, two Ghost Rider movies starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, thank, thank before goodness. Before we got thank a Wonder Woman. For that. I, just, I just want you guys to dissolve two yeah. That movie got a sequel. Somebody was like, yeah, we should put money at this. And it's just, I just, I don't get it. I don't get why we're not getting a Wonder Woman film. You don't? I don't. You I, really, wait, well, no. you really I mean, don't? I, no, no, I understand okay. what is going on behind the scenes and the old world thinking and, and the sort of privileged old white men making decisions it was about a, films. It was a but, female studio exec at Warner Brothers that what? said that a woman cannot carry an action lead. Oh, really? yeah. No, yeah. Hunger Games Ooh. sucked, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Warner the way, Brothers also lol, passed on Hunger Games. I fucking love Hunger Games. Enough. What? <laughs> Warner Brothers also passed on Hunger Games. Wonder enough. Woman as a property wouldn't be successful. Not in television, anyway. Oh, wait, but then there's history. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we. So th- they're not. They're stalled. DC Warner Brothers, there's nothing. Pursuing a Wonder Woman project is no there? Wonder no. Woman will appear on screen for the first time in a Justice League movie, if that. Oh, really and then she's not going to get her own standalone movie either. It would because they're going to fall. They're going to look as as awesome as Marvel is. They're going to follow the Marvel model, because look, Marvel's created like this whole universe, and they've created this team, the Avengers, and and they have all these films where there's these solo films for all of the, the principal characters of it, and uh, oh, hey, Black Widow, I know you're an uh, important member of the team, but tell you what, we'll give you cameos in all of the dudes' films. <laughs> Don't worry, Black <laughs> Widow is a huge part of Captain America the Winter Soldier. Terrific. That huge, would be huge, awesome huge, to see huge, her huge name huge on part. the poster. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we're it's not, not like there isn't an audience for her. I right. mean, I don't yeah, know. well, I don't know. damn it. All right, look, now that we've completely angered Schaefer to the point <laughs> of shaking, uh, what else you got? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, Vigi Games, what I, you I know? Did, I did you, the whole you know? Comic Con thing. I did what, the whole what, what, E3 wait, 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 thing say since last time I saw you. Say again? You've been working out? I was working at Comic Con. I was at E3. Yeah. Yes. You know? did, you, did, you, did you bring us back any goodies <laughs> from Comic Con? Did you bring me back anything from Comic Con? We didn't go. We lied on the podcast last month and told our listeners that we went. But then we told them we lied, so lol. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so did you bring us anything back from Comic Con? Did you bring us any presents? Uh, no, I totally forgot. Ladies and gentlemen, I... Lucas Siegel from Newsarama. <laughs> I actually do have presents for both of you, and I didn't bring them here tonight at all. Is anything signed by Joe Hill? No. God. But, but did you, speaking of Joe Hill and solicitations, did you see he has a, a new series starting up in November right away? I didn't see that. Yeah, he's got a new series. It's called Wraith, and it looks extremely creepy. For everybody who's interested, this is 
the author of my favorite comic, which is Lock and Key, which is almost over. Uh, he also Key, happens to be if, the if son you, of if Stephen you like, King. If you like uh, Lovecraftian horror, uh, if you like supernatural thrillers, uh, if you like murder, and <laughs> and if Yay, you murder. if you like and three cheers you, for murder, and if hip you hip like murder. Uh, if you like drawings no. with uh, word bubbles, then lock and key is right up your alley. Word balloons. Word. What, what, what did I say? Thought bubbles. bubbles, word balloons. What did I say? This is also particularly funny word because bubbles. one of our guests on one of the episodes yep. of the podcast was a professional comic book letterer. And Lugo doesn't know the difference, the language. We even now, discussed it on the episode. I don't pay attention to anything that happens here. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna wind <laughs> down. Um, give us give us like get, drop a bomb and then like drop the mic and say Lucas out. Oh Ed. no 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 no. I'm gonna harvest some shit here. Oh, oh shit! You got questions? yeah. You have questions. You got anything about Star Wars Episode Seven? Virtually nothing what? yet. Nobody uh, does. We're gonna oh. we're gonna get casting. Very, very, very soon. Like in the next month or so, we should start hearing real casting information. Uh, they will start out by just announcing the big three that they're bringing back. I thought they did announce them. They, they did announce they that Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, it. and Carrie Fisher were yeah, all Yeah, I thought back. I thought that was a lock. I they haven't a... actually announced it yet. Oh, I see. Okay. So they're going to start doing that. But they are casting the other lead roles now, the know. younger lead roles. Any huh. any it's, any, sp- any speculation as to who who we might be seeing or any any rumors? We're gonna any... we're gonna see some characters from the expanded universe, but we will not see stories from the expanded universe. So we are going to see the offspring of Han and Leia. Uh, no, you don't have to answer this <laughs> because because you know what your silent body language is and. We're going to see the offspring of Luke Skywalker, and there's going to be like, somebody's going to train to be a Jedi. Somebody's going to turn to the dark side. And there's three generations of Skywalkers. That's there's, it, that's... The, the script is completely done. Revisions are completely done. J.J. Abrams' revisions are completely done. I thought J.J. Abrams that's how was far, leaving the project. That's how far along we are on that. Wow. No. He's, I, I heard a rumor he was going to leave the project yeah, that because was he didn't want to move his family to London to shoot it. No, that was horse shit. He's, he's he on just it. wanted more money, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Filming, right, what else? Sh- what filming should start in February. Yeah. What other questions one. you got? Go. Oh, I got the one that I've been waiting for, that I've been saving. Hit it. Know. Drop it. I'm going to have to stand for it. Like it's hot. Oh, <laughs> shit. Uh, he's literally standing. He's unwinding the mic cord from his mic stand. He's so drunk. Yeah. And, uh, this is, so it's consistent. He's gonna, with... he's, he's, you're going to do a thing, aren't you? You're wow. actually going to do a bit. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. so... <laughs> in the de- I'm sorry, guys. This is really important. It's about Batman, and I have to know this. I fear for my life right now. So... In the DC universe, after Damian Wayne died, yeah. the, the Batman comic book, the main flagship Batman book, the story they have going on right now, they've gone to the past and they're retelling Bruce Wayne's origin story. Zero year. Zero year. Be- because, you know, you need to see that all of that again. <laughs> Pearls and his parents were shot and there was the opera and then he trained and he uh, traveled around the world and he became... And there were bats. Vigil. There were bats. He was sitting... Yeah, he was sitting in his study and bats flew in and he says, I will become a bat. All of that shit that the story's been told a million times. Okay, so they're retelling this with Zero Year. Now, he is going up against a gang right now in that storyline called... Uh, the Well, it's the Red Hood The Red gang. Hood Gang. Right, and for... 
people who know, the new DC continuity has made Red Hood a very important part of the universe. Red Hood was kind of like a one-off character that appeared in like a fake telling or, or an alternate telling of Joker's origin in Alan Moore's Killing Joke in the 80s. And so this story's been going on. And so I can't help but shaking the feeling the whole time that maybe this Batman origin story is also teeing up a Joker origin story. Is that true, Lucas Siegel? Oh, man. Is it? Is it? Is the Red Hood Joker in this book? Is it? Come on. Is it? Is it? Is it so, so we know that Joker, the Riddler is going to play a really strong part in this... We know oh, the Riddler. The Riddler. The Riddler God. is the main villain of. He is. Yes. Of Edward Nygma. His, his origin year. stories. It's all. <laughs> they're all these stories that no one Schaefer, cares about because this Schaefer, is behind the scenes. In November, there's a bunch of Zero Year tie-ins. A bunch of the books are going to show what was going on wow. with those characters in Zero Year. You really want to read Red Hood are, and the Outlaws that month. Your avoidance of the question is answering volumes. You really want to read sir. Red Hood and the Outlaws Schaefer, that month. Schaefer, well done, by the way. Well, good question. Thanks. You got him Jason, to answer it without actually ever answering anything. Jason Todd will show you the way. Oh God, I'm so as much as Jason you just Todd. said you hate him, but I don't. You would dial that 900 number to kill him again, wouldn't you? I did, <laughs> and he would. I did in 1986. I did. You did. Uh, anything else, Schaefer? No, I'm good. You sure? You I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm processing. All right. Uh, thank you so much, Lucas. A round of applause hey. for Lucas Siegel. Did you? You look like you had something else. Wait, you have something else? Uh, no. Read newsarama.com. Read newsarama.com. Do it. Your one-stop shop for all the pop culture goodness. If you, you have a day job, bookmark it, because there's awesome stuff on there all the time. You can kill so much time with so it. It's true. I know. It's true. Amazing. I will say this. Uh, we'll probably... I, we're, we're probably going to need to pull you guys in for our Comic-Con coverage at New York Comic-Con in October. <gasps> what? So I think, I think maybe, maybe we could even... Maybe we could even do a, a a video episode live from the show floor. Is that something you guys would be interested in? Does that mean you get us in there? Yeah. Wait. Yes. Wait. Hold on. Would... I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not exactly processing what you're saying right now. Are you? Are you? Inviting... I thought it'd be fun to bring you guys up to our nice little skybox that overlooks the show floor, as members of our press team and <laughs> do a do a live do I video show. Do I wear show. a little hat with a tag that says press? No. no. If you do no. that, we won't let you in. No. I will be cosplaying an old-timey <laughs> journalist. <laughs> uh, I just got... I'm now nervous and tongue-tied all of a sudden. Uh, do you, yes, yeah, we're in. I, yeah, why not? Awesome. Let's do it. We're in. We're in. October. You had a live you, video. You had me at Comic Con. You had me at Comic Con. Uh, yeah, it, it seems fair. You're practically a correspondent of this show at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. We might as well be a correspondent for you. And yeah, we're going to see something about Joker in uh, Batman Zero Year. Fucking bastard. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this has been Lucas Siegel. A round of applause. The man, the myth, the legend. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our second guest in just a moment. So this next song um, is our newest song. Um, it's the title track from our upcoming album, which is dropping on the... 31st. The 31st. August 31st. We have a number. Awesome. It's happening. Um, and it's, it's sort of 
this idea, a couple months back we saw this news article and the way the media covers things, they're like, it's really cold, you know, they, they did a piece on this man and they, they didn't even bother to learn his name, so. So we decided to write a song about that. That homeless man shitting just fell down and died. And the papers read, Man dies defecating. I can't help contemplating. There's no worse way to die. Die, die, die. I don't want to die. Die, die, die. Shitting on a subway train. When no one knows your name. Wait a second. That can't be like the worst way to die. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. No, no, yeah. no, no. Okay, yeah. hold on. What if a creepy spider with sharp little fangs were to climb on your face and bite you underneath your bangs? And then while you were gasping for your last breath of air, the spider looked in your eyes with a creepy spider stare and was like, Fuck you. This is for destroying all my spider webs. I worked really hard on those. <laughs> Asshole. And the papers read, Charles dies suffocating. I can't help contemplating. There's no worse way to die. Die, die, die. I don't want to die. Die, 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 die. Being bitten by a spider. A creepy fucking spider. What if you were to die of curable cancer because you didn't have health insurance? Oh my God. What if you were to die choking on a balloon at a children's birthday party? But you're there as the entertainment and you're dressed up like a clown. Oh my God, and all the children start murdering people dressed as clowns. With balloons! Oh my God! What, what if, if you, you were, were to die, die listening to this song because a blimp crashes through the ceiling and squishes everybody? everybody. Shitting on a subway train. Being bitten by a spider. Of curable cancer. Choking on a balloon. Being murdered by clown children. I don't want to die. So far, I just like want to cry at the end. <laughs> Let's All hear right. one more time for Afterbirth Monkey. <laughs> ah, nice. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guest on the podcast this month is an actor, MC, and producer, and philosopher, and lover, <laughs> and wizard, and inspiration. <laughs> True. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the program. Abe Goldfarb, a.k.a. Bastard Keith. Yeah! 
Hello, thank you for having me, gentlemen. Hello, oh, uh, I am. I'm very. Okay, before is... before we get into any of this, yeah. I want to say one thing to both of you. First of all, congratulations, Schaefer, on finally finishing what is apparently the fucking Chinese democracy of nerdcore. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Nelson. It, it really is. Yeah. And Nelson, congrats. Hopefully, better results. And Nelson. <laughs> I want to congratulate you on finding an even less commercial art form to move forward with. Ah, uh, in yes. your <laughs> well done, well done, and that was Abe Goldfarb. Thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, I'm, I'm actually I'm beer very, number two. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Uh, this is your first Thank time you. on the podcast. It certainly is. Um, and and we wanted to ask you here because not only. Um, are you are you all of things actor and host and producer and all yeah, those wonderful lovely like things? Yes. But you are you are a deep cut nerd from like the old school. I'm an old school movie nerd. Yeah. You used to produce a show called Bastard Peace Theater. I loved Bastard Peace Theater. Where I was very you would happy. Play- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, uh, you would you would play films, and uh, there would there would be some. It would be me. It would be me, Madame Rosebud, and a special guest, and we would riff over them. Yeah. And it was wonderful. Hilarious. It was a it was a lot of fun. And we suffered an ignominious fate. Our last show <laughs> oh, yeah. Our last show was like one of my favorites too, because we were showing the Super Mario Brothers movie, which obviously Yeah. Yeah. I mean the Super Mario Brothers film, which is like a fucking awesome example and of how not to make either a video game or a movie. <laughs> um, and it was so but, perfect but, but for riffing was, on. We had I think the audience was like six people, and the DVD player broke down eight times. Yeah. And it was yeah. almost like the technology was saying, you're, you're done fucking throwing the towel. <laughs> you have actually failed, and I will not let you finish this show. <laughs> There's not enough people here to give a shit. True. It True. was very special. Uh, but, but So I wanted to bring you on here because your love of film mm. is unparalleled. You have pro- probably forgotten more films than most people have ever watched in their entirety. I drink a lot uh, of scotch. That is true. <laughs> um, but you've also, you've also written reviews for some very notable publications and, in, and, and websites and blogs. And things I, like I, that. Have, I have. Been, but you know what? I've stopped doing criticism because I now, uh, I'm starting to make short films, and, I, and, I, and, I re- and I'm mo- working up to a feature, and I thought, well, you know, I shouldn't be a critic anymore. The best thing to do is to show up on your podcast <laughs> and give my opinions in a much less classy and official capacity. Yes. Terrific. Yes, absolutely. Um, but and we, th- th- we thank you for it preemptively. You, you got absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, also, so- my managers, I think, were like, stop writing about people who you might work with. 
<laughs> my manager was like, it's really delightful and, and just wonderful that you write these reviews. It's just that we want you to make money for us. Yes. And so, <laughs> uh, so this summer has been a pretty unique summer as far as summer blockbusters go. Yes. Um, and films and... Uh, Except not... <laughs> Except it's, it's been so unique. In there's the like, there's robots and superheroes. It's pretty like, standard. Like, holy shit, blow my mind with a whole bunch of movies about shit exploding and yeah. superheroes and well, fucking robots and monsters. But that, is the, but that is the standard yeah. fare for summer movies. Yeah, you just is, said it was pretty unique, though. But here's, but no, but here's mean, the thing. But here's the thing. You did, and there was, there was a very stupid thing to say. Oh, shut up. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> Don't look so smug. You're an asshole, too. <laughs> I, and, uh, that is not but here's, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. This summer, I had a, a very unique approach to, to going to the movies. Because mostly in the summer, I'm a big movie nerd, and I'm like, fuck it. If it's opening this weekend, I'm, gonna, I'm like one of those people during the Depression who's like, it's my last nickel. I'll just go see whatever's on at the picture house. You know? <laughs> like, and so that was, most, that was most summers up till this one. And this summer... Back in April, they were showing the, uh, the the 3D refurbishment of Jurassic Park. Oh, yes. Which, you know... Yes. And totally here's the thing. It. It, totally unnecessary 3D. Completely, Completely unnecessary. unnecessary. And in fact, vaguely indetectable when you're, when you're undetectable when you're watching the film. Because it's just like, how the fuck much are you going to do with it? It's, you know, there's not that much that you can... Post-production 3D is an inherently limited and shitty process. Crowd-pleasing shit to talk about. And, <laughs> and the thing is, I, I, I was there watching the movie and I... And I suddenly, you know, flashback to 20 years ago. And at the time, Jurassic Park was this sensational experience where you're just like, oh. holy shit, this is money's worth for fucking two straight hours. Because when that movie came out, people were like, well, you know, Spielberg and Jaws didn't show the shock until nearly the end of the film. Now we're just bringing in these big, expensive dinosaurs right from minute one. It's like, what a fucking sellout. What a bunch of bullshit. He's just, <laughs> he's just catering to fucking shorter attention spans. And now, of course, Jurassic Park looks quaint. Now, yeah. now Jurassic yeah. Park is like, I have to wait a half an hour to see a brontosaurus? What <laughs> bullshit is this? <laughs> and, and I was sat there in the theater like, wow, there, he's spending an awful lot of time on characters and situations uh, before bringing out <laughs> this, this. We might want these characters to have to have some sort of motivation to see a giant, like, man-eating yeah, T-Rex. exactly. As opposed to, like, Michael Bay's like, here's some robots. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like I was watching it and I had this epiphany where I was like, holy fuck, I don't have to go to everything. I I can actually like I can save I can save myself for the movies that I'm really excited to go see. And so this summer I was like, fuck it. I'm going to I'm going to just go to the movies where I'm like super psyched up to see them. And what it has led to is me being a much happier moviegoer. Really? And I spend much less time being like, well, that was fucking Bullshit. Because it seems because like that would lend itself to to more disappointment. Because then you're like you're only pinning expectations to a handful. Of but people. here's but here's the thing: is that I, I when I go into a movie theater, I want to have a good time. I never. I know a lot of people. Excuse me. A lot of people walk into. <laughs> a lot of people walk into a movie theater and they're like, "This give me bullshit. Here's my money. It's gonna be bullshit." <laughs> you know, they're like, "I bet this is totally bullshit," and I can't wait to judge it. And I actually know a lot of people who see movies like that, and it actually makes me want to fucking glass them in the neck because it's awful. You should walk into a movie theater being like super psyched about the idea of I'm gonna have a good time at this movie and not have this fatigue. Right. You know, at yeah. going to the movies because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. and honestly going to blockbuster movies now you walk in with an inherent fatigue 
because on some level you've seen it all before. It's the same Joseph Campbell myth thing. It's the same three-act structure. It's building the same CGI apocalypse. You know, and I, and I, <laughs> but I feel like if once you eliminate the exhaustion from it, once you start saying, okay, I'm going to pick and choose, and I'm not going to go see uh, the movie where Brad Pitt fights a plague of angry CGI running people. <laughs> You're like, and by the way, fuck you for calling it World War Z. Because first of all, in the trailers, it was like they were embarrassed. They were like, mm, they're, they're, it's a crazy epidemic. Let's not call them zombies. It's, it, it's about zombies. And also, yeah. don't buy a property just to like mangle it and adapt it in a way that makes it completely unrecognizable uh, from its source uh, material. It's yeah. nonsense. But, you know, uh, once you start eliminating all the stuff that you're like, transparently, after watching that trailer, I'm going to hate this movie. And you, I think that actually opens you up to have a little bit more fun. You're actually not pinning such huge expectations. What you're doing is giving your movie-going experience a little more time to breathe so that then you can get your hate on on Netflix. but this summer this summer i restricted myself to to a diet of movies that i was psyched up to see only only movies that you were legitimately excited legit you had to be i had to be fucking so ready to give them my money i am i am absolutely on the edge of my seat so here's to find out what your personal list is here's where we started here's where we started Okay. okay Um, first of all, and this is going to sound nuts, I am not shitting you when I say that one of the most awesome movie-going experiences of my year has been, ironically, Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. I am so <laughs> fucking... It's basically like if someone gave uh, the Coen brothers a bunch of steroids and, and four loco and like, <laughs> and they and just fucking set them loose. And they're like, here's some cameras. And they're like, ah! And, and it's... And, but what, the thing is, it totally redeems Michael Bay in my eyes because he was making all these terrible robot movies and the reason he was doing it, and this is true, he was like, he wasn't going to do Transformers 3. But the studio said, well, look, we'll let you make this project that you've been wanting to make for years. And he was like, okay, I'll do it as long as you give me $40 million to make Pain and Gain. And the fact that he got uh, the studio to give him $40 million to make a movie where the entire point is that the American dream is a corrupt, bankrupt fallacy. (laughs) And that Americans are stupid and lazy and shitty and inherently kind of venal and fucked up and evil. It's beautiful. It's like Bad Boys 2, but with the irony that we all wish was in it. (laughs) You know? (laughs) It's really... It's super good. (laughs) Because in Bad Boys 2, you're watching and like, they're destroying a Cuban shantytown. What a... <laughs> with a fucking SUV. What a hilarious spoof of excessive consumption. <laughs> well, and you're like, no, they actually think it's awesome to do that. But in Pain and Gain, it's a movie about how everyone sucks, everything's terrible, and you're fucked. Like, that's actually, like, the point of the movie. I find that then not surprising, then, that I haven't heard of it, because it doesn't seem like the studio put a lot of money into marketing that. They did film. not. They did not. And when they showed it to exhibitors, uh, the reaction was, it's a little dark. Because <laughs> it's like, it's super violent. It's really funny. For about an hour, I was laughing my tits off. And then an hour into the movie, the laughter was replaced by this slack-jawed horror at, like, <laughs> at just how hideous the behavior on screen was. For those of you who don't know, uh, it's, about, it's based on a true story with some embellishments. It's about these weightlifters who were sick and tired of waiting around for the American dream. So they kidnapped a rich guy and tortured him until he signed all of his wealth over to them. That's, that's, 
That's the source material. That's, that's the, the, the source material. If but thanks, comic nerd. It's a true story. That's not source material. <laughs> you said yeah, with it really goes back to the origin story. You said <laughs> you said with embellishments. Yes, so with embellishments. You, with with yes. embellishments, it stops being based yes, on a true story. The source, becomes... the source material was was a true story, okay. and it was embellished, and oh it was God, based on an this. article. It was based on a newspaper article, and it, like the cast is amazing because Mark Wahlberg is always at his best in comedy. Mark Wahlberg is is not someone that I love watching in drama or in hardcore action. But when he's in comedy playing someone who's essentially kind of clueless, that's actually super awesome. Like I Heart Huckabees, he's incredible in that he film. He's really yeah, good. He in is. That you heart. know, and whatever your issues with the movie Ted might be, he's terrific in Ted. He's terrific in you Ted. Know, Lugo and, like, and I saw that in the theater. So yeah, did I. I love Ted. I, I saw it with Joe. I saw it with Joe Boobs, who's a uh, Joe Boobs Weldon, who's a great burlesque performer and teacher. Uh, and uh, and Mark Wahlberg is fantastic in comedy. He's great. The Rock, as fucking usual, is great. <laughs> the Rock, the Rock is a really good actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw I saw the last wait, wait, wait. GI Joe. He, he's a really good actor, or he's he's just he. He's, he's a good actor. Fun. He's a good actor. No. Okay. If you Come want, on, okay, watch watch Be Cool, the really terrible sequel to Get Shorty. He's phenomenal in that. Right. He's superb. He's great in the last GI Joe film. He's well, I, fuck that. Anyway, the <gasps> point is, yeah, no, it, was, it looked really exciting. Fuck but you. you know, fuck I, you. But the Rock, the Rock is always value for money, and when you give him a role, like even in that piece of shit Southland Tales, he's really good in that movie. But the and and Tony Shalhoub is fantastic in the film. It's just a great goddamn cast. And Michael Bay, for the first time, I was watching a film like you know just how ugly this is, and you're actually pointing it up. So that was how I started my summer. If you get a chance, see Pain and Gain. It's gonna surprise you and Wowzers. probably horrify you. Okay, what else do you got? Okay. Then we've got um, Iron Man 3. I saw Iron Man 3. I was very excited about that. I loved Iron Man 3. I enjoyed it greatly. I enjoyed it immensely. Not least for the fact that their rendition of the Mandarin was this great, like, double bluff, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Oh, and that, that just, yeah. I mean, nerds just shitted themselves inside out on the internet. They're yeah. so disappointed. How I dare you stray? Oh, no, you're right. It's like, you, you should. It no, should, let's it, do a literal rendition of the Mandarin. It, it should be an absolutely racist stereotype yeah. villain that was written in the 50s. Like, I'm really sorry that he's not running around talking about flight lice and being a weird right. communist, but you know what? <laughs> the fucking, I'm sorry, doing the Mandarin literally is horribly racist. It, yeah. So problematic. And so the yes. fact that they, the fact that Shane Black, who is fantastic, if you've never seen his debut film, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you must see it. It is a great Kiss, film. Kiss Bang Bang is brilliant. And in fact, jump started Robert Downey Jr.'s Path to Redemption with yeah. a performance oh, yeah. Yeah. with a performance that absolutely prefigures his turn as Tony Stark. The way that he does Iron Man three, you get some good action scenes in there. You, the character comedy is where it's at. He recognizes that you can't outdo the Avengers for spectacle. So what he does is he turns it into like kind of a dark character comedy. So Iron Man 3, totally on board with that. Had a great time. Um, then there was on my birth... You know, the thing is, when I... The thing that has really saved me for movies is that on Wednesdays, there's a theater that shows Bollywood movies for seven bucks. And, <laughs> and, that's, and, and with Bollywood, it's like it's two and a half, three hours long. The stars are fucking gorgeous. There's six or seven songs. Everything ever happens in it. And like... <laughs> like, there's, like there's no more movie to ever be made or watched after you've seen a Bollywood film. And so, like, that's, like, one of my great joys is it actually recharges me in terms of loving films. Even kind of a mediocre Bollywood movie, I'm still like, you still did put everything ever in that movie. <laughs> so, like, 
I can't, it's can't really call you lazy because holy <laughs> fuck, this maddening gumbo of awesomeness that you've thrown together. I saw on my birthday, I went to see Iron Man 3 and a film called Shootout at Wadala, which is a fantastic Bollywood gangster epic, which is full of like fist fights and sweaty shirtless men and, and guns and awesome musical numbers and brothels. <laughs> and it's like so fireballs in 200 person chorus lines. Seriously, that's totally it. Like there's a point about 45 minutes into the movie where you're like, well, this has been a fairly gripping gangster story and we've we've gotten a wonderful telling of this this like young innocent student's corruption into becoming like a mafia don. And then all of a sudden they're like, let's go to the brothel. And they're like, well, that's a very beautiful girl. And she's like, boom, song. And, it's so, and there's this whole song about how everyone wants to have sex with her. And it's so good. And there's like literally three songs in the movie about how you all want to have sex with me. And it's different women every time. It's superb. And, uh, and, and there's also a sad song. Uh-huh. Um, right? And, <laughs> and there's a sad song where it's the mobster driving around Mumbai being like, mm, I'm sad. And his friends are like, hey, cheer up, guy. Here's a song. And <laughs> so, like, shoot out at Madala. It's, it's, it's kind of like, it's to- it, cribs, it cribs the Zack Snyder shooting style and repurposes it for something really extraordinary. Um, uh, so then the next one I was super excited to see was Star Trek Into Darkness. <gasps> Which I, I, I do not give a fuck what anyone says. I love J.J. Abrams' take on Star Wars. I, Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek. I would like, as, a, as an avid Star Trek fanboy, I'm going to yep. go on record saying I fucking love Had his, a blast. His, uh, his films. That, that <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness was fun. It was a, yes. it was a, a, a roller coaster ride of all of the Trek um, tropes. You sound like the guy from Rolling Stone getting uh, blurb whoring to the fucking printout. It was a roller coaster roll. I was I, on the edge of my seat. I loved it. I loved every <laughs> second. I loved every frame of it. I yeah. loved the liberties he took. Yeah. I love. I love the switch ups he, he made. But my favorite the whole thing, thing, my favorite thing, is that he took it back to the classic Roddenberry template, which is social concerns and a science fiction trapping. Yeah. The fact that it's all about okay, so Vulcan got destroyed in the first film. Well, what would the Federation's response to that be? They'd probably be a little bit less exploratory. Maybe they'd swing a little bit right-wing and go a little militaristic. And the film explicitly addresses it. And has Scotty being like, I thought we were meant to be explorers. And I was like, holy shit, you care. It's so good that you care. You know, there's shit in there about drone warfare. There's shit in there about government surveillance. It is wonderful that we have some, like, hardcore lefty Roddenberryisms. In, in a big budget science fiction film. So I am absolutely 100 million percent for the J.J. Abrams method. Absolutely. When it comes I, to Star I, Trek. I completely agree. Completely. So I, and I am a cumber bitch. I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I love him so much. <laughs> has that, has that, is that making the rounds? Is that like the, the term for the... Cumber devo- bitch? The, his devotees? It may very well be. Well, you heard it here first, everybody. Um, you, you know you, what? I'm going I'm to I'm I'm say it right now. That man is dreamy. He's very dreamy, yep. and uh, he's got this beautiful low voice. Like, I listen, I'm not like 100% into cock, but I would absolutely suck off Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Look, like, no one's, no one's 100% straight. That's like a big lie because, you know, we're all like hetero flexible, you know. <laughs> I just think, I think what you need is that like sexual tipping point. Like, who's the person with the same genitals as me who would really push me over the edge? It's probably that silky rich voice Sherlock Holmes. Yes, exactly. 
Absolutely. Wow. He's like, oh, God. You know what? He, he's like the playgirl uh, Alan Rickman. He's so, <laughs> so he's, good. He's not, he's not cheesecake. He's not beefcake. He's like liqueur cake. <laughs> he, he, he serves in your life the same role that Killian Murphy serves in mine. I, I, totally, wow. I totally understand that. Well, I saw him first. I can dig it. Wowzers. Right. I'm, not fu- I'm not trying to take him from you. Look, I got a little protective there. That's fine. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> You must have been so happy when that kangaroo court popped up and rises, where you were like, "He's back, fucko! He gets a cameo in everyone." Yep, absolutely, yes, exactly. I, I was just—I was pretty much holding my breath for the first uh, three and a half hours of Dark Knight Rises, waiting for that scene. Right. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, but what else you got? Okay. <laughs> Next, a slightly more controversial choice for uh-huh. something I really enjoyed. I loved Man of Steel. I loved it. I loved it. Because, okay, first of all, my favorite part is that the opening half, the opening like 45 minutes on Krypton or whatever, it's like fucking Dune. Like, it's just this crazy, weirdly designed sci-fi spectacular. And I'm like, finally, someone's doing Krypton in this like super awesome way where I'm not annoyed to be sitting there watching an origin story. And Jor-El is a badass. He is. And and Jor-El. He is a fucking. He's a man of steel. I like numbers and science. But now. That's not a line in the film. But I'm going to kung fu you to death with my (laughs) Kryptonian battle stance. Well, the thing is that. Actually, Jor-El, uh, Jor-El does have the greatest superpower in the film, and that is the superpower of opening and closing doors. <laughs> because you can't see this on, on the you can't see this in the podcast, but Russell Crowe has this moment where he, a virtual representation of him is guiding Amy Adams through an alien spaceship. It makes sense. And <laughs> and as she as she passes the door, he opens his hand. And the doors just swish open. And when he wants them to close, he's like, she closes his hand. And I fucking swear to God, when I was sat there watching him do that, I was doubled over in like adoring <laughs> laughter. I was like, he has the power of doors. <laughs> Russell Crowe. And, uh, and like, I also love the fact that they, they, skipped, they skipped over the origin story really lightly mm-hmm. once he got to Earth. It's like, here are the essential components to it. And it also got really poignant. And not only that... Zack Snyder, who, by the way, I think in about 20 years' time, people are going to look back on Zack Snyder and think maybe we judged him a little too harshly because the guy is a fucking really talented director. He totally mixed up his shooting style for this one, did a completely different thing, and I really appreciated him going, like, hyper-vivid, hyper-real with, like, just fucking handheld cameras. There was no second unit. He shot everything in that film, first unit. And so, like, I mean... Lots of respect. This is a guy who gets shit for his movies. But okay, let's go through the fucking filmography, shall Dawn we? Dawn of the Dead was great. Dawn of the Dead's fantastic. I love Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is fantastic. 300 is a fascist wet dream and it disturbs me. <laughs> but I liked, I liked 300. 300 is a homophobic, weirdly eugenics-oriented freak-out nightmare. I will yeah. fist fight people to defend Watchmen. I love Watchmen. Watchmen's a great fucking I movie. I love Watchmen. Watchmen I, is, I don't have a problem with Watchmen. I would defy anyone to make a better movie of Watchmen. I'm sorry, but like... Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very difficult material to create into a film and I thought I was very satisfied. He actually did it. He made a satisfying film. For me, it was like the JFK of superhero movies. You know, this big, this big, epic, paranoid, disturbing, like... I'm trying to think of the right word for it. Almost like fetishizing period piece, too. Absolutely. Because it's, just, it's just soaked in. And it takes a million different a million different cultural signifiers just thrown into the blender and like spat out in this disturbing, spiteful, dark vision of what America could have been and actually kind of is. Like uh, burping again. So like second beer. But like Watchmen, Watchmen, astoundingly underrated. Didn't see the owl movie. Fuck it. Um then there's the fact that he made fucking I'm, g- I'm not going to make a big discussion out of this. 
I will only say that I think Sucker Punch is ripe for reevaluation. Sucker Punch is a really good movie, and it indicts the nerd audience in ways that are really useful socially. And is not only that, but an extremely exciting action movie. A really great sort of like uh, tale of escape. It's like Brazil, but with anime fetish chicks in it. <laughs> you know? And, and the film is a legit commentary on the male gaze. And I remember reading all this shit. I read a review at the time that was like, uh, you know, who, anyone ever wonder what goes on in the head of a stripper while she's dancing? Yeah, me neither. Well, fuck you, because this movie's all about that. It's all about what happens when someone... Uh, is is under the male gaze. What's more important to Zack Snyder is not what the man is seeing, but what's going on in the woman's head. And that's really fucking valuable. In addition to the fact that it's incredibly visually beautiful, it, the, the writing is a little bit on the nose, but I don't mind that because thematically I can fucking get with it. I really think Sucker Punch is going to be looked back on as, as a misunderstood film and kind of a classic in the years to come. Hmm. So I... Sucker Punch, and watch the extended version where it's really fucking on the nose about the themes, where he's practically in every frame just being like, just so you know, you're looking at them wrong. It's so, <laughs> it is so fucking awesome. It is so goddamn good. So that leads us, the, the astounding commercial failure of Sucker Punch leads us to Nolan producing and stewarding as, uh, his, his version of, of Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. And it's a fucking really stirring, beautiful action movie. Yeah. And the visuals are just like so mint. And they're j- and the score by Hans Zimmer is gorgeous. The performances are 100%. They are well cast. It's iconic. Michael Shannon is the angriest man alive. <laughs> like every second that he's on screen in Man of Steel, like every molecule on the surface of his skin is vibrating with fury and it's awesome <laughs> to watch. It's just, I, I fucking was so satisfied by it. And when people bitch about, oh, Superman doesn't kill. He does. Superman kills. Uh, he actually totally does. Even in your precious fucking Richard Donner, Richard Lester Superman 2. Even in that movie where he throws them down the fucking pit and he's smiling like, bye, bad guys. You know, <laughs> just, because it, just because it cuts away before they jelly up the fucking rocks at the bottom of the pit doesn't mean that Superman didn't just fucking kill them. Like, and so in this movie, instead of it being a cheerful thing like, so long, dicks, here, it's Superman actually wrestling with a moral dilemma and making a choice that almost breaks him. Like, it's so fucking rad. That's when you watch Superman become Superman. That's the reason that he's probably not going to kill in the future, because he had to kill there. And that's actually meaningful. And so when people tell me, right? (laughs) Like, I I just feel like when you paint Superman as this unassailable icon of American virtue, you're completely forgetting the fact that he's a Jewish immigrant. He's an outsider. Like, he's a dude who came here from another world. He's able to assimilate, he's able to assimilate because, like Jews, like my fucking ancestry, he looked white enough. You know, and so when people talk about as this all-American guy, they're forgetting the essence of Superman, which is that on some level he can never be one of us. You know, there's a much darker reading there, and this film really deals with it, like the fact that he's almost autistic. You know, in the way that he relates to the world around him, and he has to and go that's through. That's kind of been touched on throughout all of the, the various tellings. Sure, of, of that. but you'll yeah. note the outrage. At this particular right. telling, there was so much outrage. I, I, when I saw this film, I, I went in with no expectations. Um, again, because I'm such a huge... Not even of a cape. <laughs> because I, I was such a DC fanboy, and I was so absolutely blown away by it, and absolutely thrilled and happy at just the surface story, but on a deeper level, I got it. I got what they were trying to do. Yeah. I understood this world. I understood the choices that... 
uh, Clark or Cal, you know, had to make as he was growing up to be the man he ultimately becomes. So it's a and real movie. Absolutely. It's, it's not a just real a film. It's not, it was, I was, I was surprised in that it's not a pure popcorn film. Although like, it as, is as, entertaining as, in that way. It is. I mean, because, I mean, I mean, it's a fucking, you know, it, it, it's, so many buildings get destroyed. It's and, a fucking and also building that touches on, I have, a, I have a little bit of Armageddon fatigue. Um, I kind but of. But that doesn't matter. You know, okay, film. you know how you know how rape is in comic books, where it's like we need to show how terrible things are. Here's a rape, uh, and like <laughs> it's fucking the worst. And I kind of feel like 9/11 has become that thing in movies now, where they're like, here's some horrifying destruction based on one of America's most traumatic recent memories. Here's right, like, your money's worth. We can't give motivation <laughs> to this character unless we see like a major U.S. city crumble. Yes, and yeah. I'm not, and I'm not drawing a direct link between obviously a direct behavioral corollary between rape and 9-11 that would be insane but i'm saying <laughs> but i'm saying that it is the same kind of shorthand which cheapens the horror of an event yes and I'm, and and despite despite all of that despite all the city destruction yes at the heart of it there's this real movie with real consequences and real characters that you yeah. care about and yeah. lois lane isn't some dumb ditz she's actually a really fucking good reporter yeah like she does her job like a bouse and it's so good to fucking see. <laughs> it's so good to see Lois Lane be awesome. Yeah. And to, and to be a formidable presence well, wait, and not when, just when rescue has, bait. When has Lois Lane been played a ditzy bit of rescue You bait? may remember an actress by the name of Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. No, Margot Kidder was like a banana cake in that movie. And she likes, she fought everybody. I, thought, I feel like she Yeah, and getting, she was also like, oh, I'm flying. It's crazy. Help. It's so fucking terrible. <laughs> a man that she worked with was flying her through the night sky. Yeah, I would but lose I thought, my I shit think, too. But, but I thought she came off as not exactly how I would imagine a professional journalist would behave. All right. I thought, I thought that she had. Um, I actually was impressed because I was, I, well, I was impressed when I saw Superman Returns and I went back and was like, oh my God, watching Superman Returns. Maybe they should have given the part of Lois Lane instead of giving it to um, Kate Bosworth. Maybe they should have given that part to Parker Posey because she played that part a little bit unhinged. Parker like, Posey That's is actually little... more consistent with Margot Kidder. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, but I was, I was glad to see Lois Lane as, as awesome and capable and with it and together. I was really glad to see Lawrence Fishburne in there. He had one of my favorite moments in the movie. Oh, yeah. And it's the moment when they're fucking, all hell is breaking loose. The, the, the young lady is trapped beneath the bit of building debris. They can't get her out. And fucking, and this is the heart of the movie for me. And the reason that it like resonates and matters. Fishburne, just knowing that he can't save her, just reaches out, holds her fucking hand as the buildings are coming down and just looks at her with this like extraordinary compassion and love. And I've thought, you know what, that's what distinguishes this from so many other superhero movies. Because, you know, I loved The Avengers, but holy shit, how many people must have died in that movie? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, do you know how many people must have died in The Avengers? Holy shit! <laughs> Fucking giant space worms knocking buildings over and exploding like, cars? This whole neighborhood was gone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I also, there was a lot of bullshit about, like, well, Superman didn't rescue nearly enough people. It's like, well, he was kind of flying literally to the other side of the globe to disable a world engine so that he could come back and then save, you know, billions of lives instead of a few thousand. And that's the kind of tough ethical choice that marks it as, like, a special telling of the Superman myth, and I was a big fan yeah. Which leads us to my the, like the two movies that for me were the fucking song of the summer as far as I was as far as I was concerned, and they were both flops. And I, <laughs> and I loved, but I loved both of them. And one of them is a little less controversial as a choice uh, than the other. The less controversial choice 
is Pacific Rim, which is a great fucking movie. Oh, so good. Pacific Rim is a movie with heart and soul and fucking awesome visuals, great action. It has a pace that doesn't relent for a second, but it actually makes you care about these people. Also, it's really good to see a movie where the heroes are, you know, let's see, a white guy, a Japanese chick, and a British black guy. And it's about the, <laughs> and it's about the nations of the world actually coming together to work together and how we are totally fucked if we don't, if we don't just fucking get past our differences and build giant robots. <laughs> I was a huge Pacific Rim fan, and I loved every single goddamn thing about it, especially the fact that Ron Perlman plays a character named Hannibal Chow. And, <laughs> and Charlie Day basically just does a little episode of It's Always Sunny in the middle of a Godzilla movie. And I loved that so much. I fucking love Pacific Rim and an uncomplicated 12-year-old, just like jaw on the floor, staring at the screen, this is why I go to the movies kind of way. It's a very uncomplicated kind of love. It was great to see... Godzilla, Transformers, and HP Lovecraft all mashed up into one. And I just think that's rad. The other pick is really going to be disagreed with by a lot of people. <laughs> okay. Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. Lone I'm sorry. Ranger. Lone Ranger's... Here's why it's surprising and why it should be seen. First of all, Gore Verbinski actually really knows how to shoot spectacle in action. Like, he's just... Act he's a good craftsman. You know, even in that non even as the sequels to Pirates of the Caribbean got progressively nonsensical, <laughs> you never, when you were watching an action scene, thought, I have no fucking idea what's going on, which is a huge problem with modern action. You just don't see the story of the action scene because it's just like, you're being excited it's just, right it's now. Just, it's spectacle. It's just, it's just endless spectacle. It's a relentless barrage of like, sh like shaky cam, quick cut chaos where it's and like, it's stimulation without excitement. And Gore Verbinski really respects the fact that you need to see the geography of an action scene. You need to understand what the stakes are. And, you need, and it needs to tell a story from beginning to end with an action scene. Then there's the fact that, okay, yes, it is slightly problematic that Johnny Depp, who's about 178th Native American, <laughs> played Tonto. But what they do with the character of Tonto is fucking fascinating. Because, first of all, he's the real hero of the movie. The Lone Ranger is like this doofy white guy who has no idea what he's doing and is being assisted every step of the way by Tonto. And as a result, since our eyes for the movie are Tonto's, and by the way, the framing device is entirely Tonto, and it's beautifully done, the film becomes not just a fantastic Western for anyone who likes like old John Ford and Sergio Leone stuff, and it's beautifully shot, it also becomes a searing fucking indictment of westward expansion, of American greed, of the military-industrial complex. There are scenes in the movie where I was like, did Disney read this script? Because it's, <laughs> it's about how things like Disney are terrible. <laughs> like, there's a fucking scene where basically uh, the, this military official is face-to-face -face with a railroad executive, and the railroad executive offers him a choice. He's like, yeah, you could do the right thing, or I could give you a bunch of money and buy out the military, and you could just do what we tell you to do and kill Native Americans. And the guy's like, yeah, I will take your money and kill Native Americans. <laughs> it, is, it is amazingly grim. So not a family movie. There's a scene where a dude gets his heart cut out and eaten, but you, you, and because it's a PG-13, of course. <laughs> um, but because it's seen reflected vaguely in someone's glasses, that's why it's okay to show that. Really? That's how they got, that's how they got around it? That's how they got around it. But it is, it's, it's beautifully shot. There's like a little pacing lull in the middle, but I sat there the whole time being like, the fucking ball's on this movie. Like, so many balls on this movie. <laughs> and... The final action scene in the film, which is set to the William Tell Overture, yes, uh, they understood that if they did nothing else, 
if they spent the entire <laughs> if they spent the entire other two hours in the movie being like fuck you America you have to deliver the William <laughs> you Tell have to deliver the William Tell overture in the Lone Ranger picture yeah. in the Lone Ranger movie and it proceeds to score and th- th- the action scene at the end is cut to the William Tell overture. Like, it's cut rhythmically to the William Tell Overture. It's like a music video yes. for the William Tell Overture. And it is, and it is, a, it is an out-of-control <laughs> train chase with two trains on tracks that run parallel over each other, under each other, with, like, fights going on on the respective trains, between the respective trains. It's like a fucking $200 million Buster Keaton movie. <laughs> with explo- I mean, Seriously, I really think if you give it a chance, Lone Ranger... I, I was very surprised, and I and I think it's worthwhile. And I think how's that Army Hammer in it? Army Hammer, he's delightful, but he's not the point. Well, I know I'm, I I understand. Yeah, you, no, you, he's you, you I, I find that this is Tonto's story. Yes, or that's, but that's, I find I, Army Hammer is perfectly charming in it. Right. You know, and he's delightful. And Tom Wilkinson plays a bad guy with whiskers, and uh, that's <laughs> that's nice for everyone. And it's uh, it's just it's it's a surprising film. I really think it's worth it's worth looking at. And oh, I'm wow. so, and I'm not surprised. I will, right. see I will see it. I didn't see it. I had no interest in seeing it. I will. I am I am absolutely. My curiosity is peaked. I will and see mine it. too. Yeah. Actually, we should. You know, we will we'll, we'll go see it together. Do it. No, it's not. It's out of anymore. theaters. Well, see I'm just saying. A... When you get it, we'll see it. We'll go. You said you said we'll go see it. Yeah, like, I'm gonna go gonna... to your place oh, and we'll for see it. You'll, you'll come sake. over. Yeah. And see it. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway. The next thing I want to say. Well, uh, the, the, those, are, those are the films that you loved. Or is there anything that you did not like that you thought just was Honestly, of the movies I saw this summer, I had a good time at all of them for different reasons. And I think it's a result of giving myself that blockbuster breathing room. Oh, okay. Of, like, of not giving myself fatigue. Also noteworthy, fucking Fruitvale Station. If, you, if that's in theaters right now, see it now. It is so good. Fucking Michael B. Jordan and Octavia Spencer are sick awesome in it. And, but I just... I'm an idiot because the weekend of the Trayvon Martin verdict, I was like, wow, I'm in a terrible mood. I have just witnessed an incredibly disappointing uh, thing for American culture. This is not even a backslide. It's just a reminder that we're horribly fucked and that this is inherently a racist country. And I was like, you know what will make me feel better? Going to see, <laughs> going to the movies. Why don't I see a story of a young black man racially profiled and murdered by a by a, and dying at the hands of a shitty justice system. So I went, <laughs> feel good decision of the summer, but I went to go see it and it's fucking glorious. It is just glorious. And it's, it's full of, it's the most human movie of the summer. You kind of need to go see it. It's, it's extraordinary. And, right. and it's shot really, really lo-fi. It's all just like handheld kind of shitty digital cameras, but every performance is on the money. And I was left a sobbing wreck at the end of the film. And the air was so thick in that theater uh, when, we, when we went in because it was literally the day after the, Mar- the Trayvon Martin verdict. And everyone in that room was on edge. But the extraordinary thing about Fruitvale Station, and this is why I think it's valuable, by the end of that film, every single person in that room, uh, it felt like we were all in an embrace together. Like, it was just this really beautiful and painful but really healing experience. And it was, it, it, it's, it's a fucking knockout. You've got to fucking see it. You've just got to. All right. So anyway, those are, those are like my big ones for the summer. I enjoyed the Wolverine. Solid B. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing they got wow. the director of Walk the Holy Line crap. to make a uh, Wolverine movie. That's who directed that? Yeah, James Mangold. He does a fine job. Although I think, you know, maybe a little less close up and quick cutting on the action there, Mangold. But uh, other than that, <laughs> perfectly enjoyable. <laughs> uh, well, shit. I don't even know where to go from there. Now, you, uh, you do some acting. 
I, I do plenty of you, that. You do, you, uh, you're a professional make-believe. Yeah, I do make them ups <laughs> um, You were cast uh, recently in a show uh, that's... Which is currently on hiatus, it's unfortunately, on hiatus. But, it's, but the producers are, are looking at bringing it back. It, is, it was a show called I Hope They Serve Beer on Broadway. That is the name of the show. Which was based on a book called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. By Tucker Max. Written by Tucker Max, who and is p- a candidate for uh, most deplorable American of the past 20 years. I'm not going to argue that point. Um, <laughs> so, and if I'm correct, you were cast in the lead role? I was cast this? as Tucker Max. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even for a lot of money, so I can't just be like, I got a pool, bitch. No. Like, <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's... I, did, it's, I, I legitimately did it for the art. It's a work... Well, it, you're also... Well, I mean, it's a working actor. That's a lead role. That's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. It's also it's, on Broadway. Also, I mean, that's well, like it wasn't a, on Broadway, but they were building to a Broadway production. Right. They, we sold out the off-off run, and now, like, the money's being put together for an off-Broadway run and with, with eyes on a Broadway run. And, you know, we... I mean, we sold out the entire month of June. So, like, there was a crowd for it. It was... Okay. When I was offered the role. First of all, I just want to make sure. Everybody's, is everybody clear who Tucker Max is? <laughs> Does anyone not know who Tucker Max is? Get, you know what? For, if for, you don't know who Tucker okay. Max is, I'm sure Abe will give you the He's, most give awesome us, yeah, cliff get, notes you've Tucker ever heard. Max, Tucker Max is, is sort of the ultimate dude, bro. And uh, he, he's very fratty, and I have absolutely nothing in common with him. And in fact, I'm pretty disgusted by his writing. Before his <laughs> book, he, was a, uh, he had a blog, right? Is that where he, had he, a blog. he came from? He had a blog where it's just all about like... Uh, I fucked like a fat chick. Race you know. jokes and sport fucking. Yes. Right? Okay. It's like okay. it's pretty deplorable. Yes. And when I was offered the role by a very talented and very brilliant uh, Yale School of Drama educated director called Christopher Carter Sanderson, who's, he's a genius, he came to me with this and he said, listen, I've decided I want to make like a bunch of money. <laughs> so, <laughs> and... and uh, and I think I've got the thing for it. And I was like, all right, man, what do you got? He said, I have acquired the rights to the entire works of Tucker Max. And I said, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, bear with me. <laughs> and, and he sort of developed it into an adaptation. And he would, we would just have lunch every so often. And he would tell me about how it was coming along. And I was like, this At is... At this point, had you read I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell? I'd read some of the stories, and I was like, I just can't stand it. It's the most misogynist, racist, homophobic horse shit. And I... Like, the guy has a, has a sort of... Your, the guy has a facility for telling a story. He knows how to actually construct a story. He's not a technically bad writer. It's just that his content is really upsetting and, like, triggering and shitty for me. And so then, finally, earlier this year, he sits me down to lunch... And he's like, all right, so I think you should play Tucker Max. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he's familiar with my Twitter feed where I routinely rampage against against white against against the Tucker Max of the world. I'm like, I frequently scream about conservatism, white privilege, misogyny, you know. uh, Anyway, he knows he knows my opinions. And I was like, are you out of your fucking mind? He's like, but let me put it to you this way. You don't have to play Tucker Max. You can play whatever suggests itself from the text. Like, you're going to build this character from the ground up. And it's going to be a very sort of... It's not going to be a postmodern take on it. But I think that the transfiguring power of theater, those are the words he used, <laughs> will do something will do something interesting and transformative to this piece. And by the time we were in rehearsal, I realized he was right. Because inherently, 
when you're reading Tucker Max, and I've said inherently probably 10 times, yay, Yingling. And uh, when, you're, when you're reading Tucker Max, what you get from it is it's all, it's aggressively subjective. It's all from him. He's kind of, even when he's acting like an idiot, he's like, I'm awesome at acting like an idiot. And he's like divided the world into hot chicks, fat chicks, ugly chicks, fags, you know, fucking uh, people based on racial stereotypes, you name it, trannies. And the thing is, once you put it on stage and you have a person actually doing this stuff, he looks like an idiot. He looks like a huge moron and an asshole. And all these other people who were previously just signifiers, they have faces now. Once you see that person on stage, you have immediately a kind of empathy for them. And that, that changes everything. Huh. And it changes the placement of all the laughs in the piece. Because in the book, the joke is on everyone else. Right. He's, always, s- he's always cast himself as, as this hero. Like this, he's the candide he's of his just, own. He's, yeah. can, he's just walking through his life and casting uh, judgment and, and just spewing Like a sociopath. Everybody. Like a total like sociopath. A sociopath. Exactly. And on stage, the joke is on Tucker Max. The supporting cast has more of a voice. And the director said this play has three characters. Uh, Tucker Max, the audience, and the rest of the world. And, the, uh, and we had 12 actors in the, uh, in the ensemble, and they played the rest of the world. And it changed everything. And we had a lot... The, the audience, by the way, was about 60, 40 women, maybe 65, 35 women, women who wanted to fuck Tucker Max or reform Tucker Max, you know, make a better man of him, <laughs> or be in a Tucker Max story. And there's a Venn diagram with a whole bunch of that involved. Um, and there were dude bros there, and by the time Tucker finds out that a stripper that he fucked in the ass may have been a transsexual, the joke is not, ew, tranny butt. The joke is... Which is which how, exactly how that joke would have played in his book. Yes. But on stage, it's like you've just watched this guy's mind get exploded because the tranny stripper comes on stage and like takes a moment of like, we also, the audience didn't know if the stripper was transsexual or not, if it was a, a cisgendered woman, uh, born, born female, or, or someone who had undergone transition uh, or was simply dressed up, and a lot of people couldn't tell, and it made the men in the audience so uncomfortable. Well, the men being the dude bro Tucker Max fans, who yes. they're expecting that it was going to be a, yeah, fat chicks are awesome yeah, crowd. Absolutely. And, and the show wound up being, I think, artistically. Oh, it, that's it, so satisfying because <laughs> if, if the only people I find, I the only uh, imagine the people I would find more deplorable than Tucker Max are his legion of dude bro sycophants. But here's, and the idea that they're coming to this show and kind of. And possibly getting, getting a boner looking at someone being like, I don't know if you're a girl or not. I think that's actually, <laughs> that to me is really, val- that's public service. And that's valuable. But here's but here was the ultimate thing, because I met Tucker a couple times. Oh God, that's what I was gonna ask you next. Yeah. No, I I met Tucker and I, I hung out with him Did a little bit. Did you tell him I said hi? Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, obviously not. Uh, but I he came and saw me host a show down in Dumbo, the floating cabaret. And, you know, I think it was just to assuage any doubts that he had that the person who was playing him might not have stage presence or charisma. And he was very, very happy with what he saw. And uh, we all went out to a diner afterwards, myself. And here, okay, here's, here's the group of us that went out t- to dinner at this diner at like two in the morning. It was me, Christopher Carter Sanderson, Tucker Max, uh, my wife, Rosebud, 
who is uh, a gender fluid burlesque genius and who terrifies the shit out of him. Um, go, go harder, the boy Lesker. Yeah. We've, we also had uh, Athena Reich, who's like a militantly lesbian actress and her super butch girlfriend. <laughs> And, and Tucker's, like, possibly 19-year-old uh, college uh, while he's in town person. And, and so he sits, and so we're walking to the fucking diner. It's a little bit cold out. He's given his coat to this, to this young lady who's, who's out with him that night. And he's like, Jesus Christ, can we take a cab? I'm like, it's 10 minutes off. You're going to be fine to, to walk to the diner. And then he's like, this is why it's good to be rich, so you can take a fucking car everywhere. And I was like, holy shit, do you want my jacket? You can take my Uniqlo because I got a thick suit on in case you need me to fucking call the ambulance. You're fine. You can make it to the... Because he bitched for 10 straight minutes like Frederick Douglass didn't have to walk this long. Like, oh. that's a direct quote. That is not a direct quote. That's a direct quote. You wrote that into the story. That really... He said he that? Said that. He said that. Holy and I was like, shit. I was like, holy shit. Dry your eyes, little Mindy. You're going to be at the fucking... <laughs> You're going you're gonna to be at the diner soon enough. And so we got there, and he was, like, super, super annoyed at how cold and how long the walk was. And then we all, I sat down with him, and we were all just shooting the shit. And I silenced the table by asking a very direct question. I said, so how much of what you write is satirical, and how much of it is just you being, like, an asshole? <laughs> I, just, just so I'm clear, this is, the night, this, is the, this is the night you first met. Yes. After he came to see you uh, MC a show... To make sure he was okay with you playing him, yes, and that this is and, and at this charming little <laughs> yeah. uh, little chat chew later at the at the diner, yeah, that you you pose that question to him in front of a crowd of people that represent all of the people in America that he's a terrified of. Yeah, totally. You're a, you're a hero. Amy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I was I was a little drunk, but um, but you know, and th- he'd been freaked out earlier because there was a joke about how someone in the audience wanted to fuck Rosebud. And I was like, sorry, she only likes black guys. And apparently that <laughs> joke really upset Tucker Max. He was like, <laughs> just really squirming in this. It's true, though. And um, <laughs> but, so we're all set. And, and he says, yeah, none of it's satirical. This was all stuff that I did. And I was like, not, so not a, not a thing in there is, is meant to be like a commentary on crazy dude bro behavior. He's like, no, it was what I did. And we talked a little bit more, and I said, well, I mean, what do you think about, what are your thoughts on feminism? And he said, I consider myself a feminist. Wow. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, do elucidate, Tucker Max. <laughs> Champion of a ladies' agency around the world. And he was like, well, you know, everything I do is to impress women, so they'll fuck me. I was like, not the same thing! <laughs> Tucker Max! <laughs> not the same thing! <laughs> and uh, but he was going on about first wave, second wave, third wave feminism, and you know, I mean, ultimately, it's 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 kind of bullshit. But the interesting thing about Tucker is that he now views this guy who wrote those books as like another person. He's this is a guy who goes to a lot of therapy, who reads a lot of books, and who keeps a, an entirely separate blog from the "I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell" blog. He is a fascinating man striving to find something. It's like he's searching for searching right now. Because, you know, the original quest for him was to get laid. That was his big thing, just to get as much vagina as humanly possible. And then he got famous, so it was really easy for him to get laid. And he felt, I think, possibly a little lost after that and was like, well, gosh, what's the new quest? And the new quest was to get as rich as humanly possible. 
So now it's all about like expanding his portfolio and getting incredibly rich. And he wrote a review of the show on his blog. And this <laughs> is one of my proudest moments ever. He'd already put my picture and name up on his blog, calling me the ginger Jew who had been cast. Oh, <laughs> I, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> apparently a lot of people did. Um, <laughs> apparently some people read Tucker Max. Uh, and, and then when he saw the show, he wrote, and I credit him with this, an incredibly raw, honest, and fair-minded thing. He said, I um, hate it. <laughs> I hate this show so much. It's the worst. And yet... I recognize I'm in no position to evaluate it because everyone else in the room but me had an amazing time and thought it was great. And he said, I don't understand. He'd never been to a play. He's never been to a play before this. Because it's faggy. And, because uh, <laughs> theater's for fags. And, uh, but he came, he said, I don't understand because the words were 99% Tucker with some like ad libs by me. And uh, he said, I don't understand how you can take my words and create something that in no way reflects my experience. <laughs> in no way at all. And I was like, it's almost as though tone and context alter words. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, it, it's almost as though they affect meaning. <laughs> wow! It's almost as though there's a reason to do Shakespeare again. You know, <laughs> like the, tone and context change meaning. And he said, and this was my proudest thing. He said, uh, you know, Abe Goldfarb is, is very talented. He's a very good actor. But holy shit, I don't recognize the guy he's playing on stage. I do not recognize him. And if I was that guy for even a minute of my life up to now, I have to kick my own ass. <laughs> <laughs> that well, was like, bravo. Done. <laughs> Life's work achieved. <laughs> you know, it was a really, it was a special thing. To, uh, and, and to Tucker's credit, he was incredibly forthcoming, respectful, and good, even though we probably don't see eye to eye on a fucking thing. I, he, he behaved himself commendably uh, throughout the run of the thing. Uh, and I think, I think that's a wonderful uh, way to end this thing. Thank well, you thank so you. very much. Ladies and gentlemen, Abe Goldfarb. <laughs> Abe Goldfarb, movies and Tucker Max. You beautiful you, bastard. Uh, holy shitballs. Um, well, fuck, son. That was... <laughs> I don't know what else to say. I think we're done. I think that's it. I think, I think uh, uh, one year uh, is... This has been a good year uh, for the podcast. We've had some amazing shows. We have this has been guests. the only year for the podcast. Fair enough. Uh, but it has been a good year. Uh, and we, we've had a lot of fun. We've talked to a lot of people. I don't know about that. Uh, we oh, dear. Ta- we've talked to a handful of people. Uh, <laughs> Lucas Eagle three times. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, fun. Uh, it's, oh, uh, stop. Stop. You have fun. All right, fine. I have fun. Uh, well, I think, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap we this up. Give, we have to give away some comic books. Um, does anybody have any questions for Schaefer or Lugo? What's that? <laughs> That's the price of admission. Oh, maybe the young lady who asked the question. Give wait, her the oh, animal we have, man. A, we have a question. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. We have a question from the audience. Thank you. Can we get some house lights there, Trey? Excellent. Oh, look at that. The, oh. oh, the hundreds of people. Oh, it is. This is quiet. I have a question from yeah. Nelson Lugo. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, now that you're not producing burlesque, are you still planning on hosting and being a part of 
shows oh. in the burlesque community? Uh, Your fans want to know. Excellent question. Yes, I will be in any show that anyone deems worthy enough uh, that I could grace their presence. I'm not done being in burlesque. Burlesque has been very, very good to me. I'm done producing burlesque in New York City, so to clear that up. Uh, we do have one uh, huge announcement that we've saved for the end. We do? Yeah. Uh, this, is the, this is the end of the epic podcast. This is the last epic podcast that we will record. Uh, Hold on. Dot, dot, dot. dot. Um, So, ladies and gentlemen, starting next month, uh, we are launching a new podcast. (laughs) It's the same podcast. We're just changing the name. (laughs) The new podcast is going to be... Would you like to say it or or do you want me to do it? I'm not doing it. Ladies and gentlemen, the new podcast starting next month is going to be the Pot Pie Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen... Pot Pie Podcast. Uh, the Pot Pie Podcast. Because, because Lugo loves pie. And we like chicken pot pie. Um, so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. We want to thank the Tank Theater for being so fucking awesome. Uh, we want to thank our guests, Lucas Siegel and Abe Goldfar for being such wonderful, wonderful guests. And Afterbirth uh, Monkey. Afterbirth Monkey for being awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, I want to thank you, Schaefer, for uh, being uh, Schaefer. You make me feel like I'm a guest at your house. Uh, I will thank you. I, then I don't thank you. Don't I fuck wanna, yourself. I want to thank you for Christmas presents you Yay! gave me in previous years. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 13 of the Epic Podcast. My name's Nelson Lugo. And my name is Schaefer the Dark Lord. Be safe, internets. Bye. The Epic Podcast. Nerdy Show. All programming on the Nerdy Show Network is listener supported. If you've enjoyed what you heard, you can show your support by telling a friend or going to nerdyshow.com and clicking the support button. Even a small contribution gets you cool nerdy perks and allows you to take part in our monthly support drive contests. For more episodes of the Epic Podcast, videos, contests, and other nerdy programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Subscribe to all our latest episodes via the iTunes store. And remember to follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter at Nerdy Show to keep up to date on the latest Nerdy Show news. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.